everyone and welcome to the next edition of the VTX podcast. Here at the Veterinary Thought Exchange, we like to start by asking, what are you thinking? And this week, we're going to be chatting to the amazing Hannah. Hannah is an RVN, but um, as she discusses, she is so much more uh, than that. At the time of recording, Hannah had just submitted her dissertation uh, to become a small animal and equine physiotherapist. And I'm pleased to say that since we have recorded, she has passed and has now qualified um, as a physiotherapist. So massive congratulations to her. In our clinical segment this week, we're going to be chatting about uh, more anemia. Uh, So we're going to be talking about some of the uh, non-immune causes of hemolysis, uh, as well as differentiating hemolysis from blood loss when we're investigating regenerative anemia. And we want to say a massive thank you to the wonderful team at IDEX for their support of this podcast. Working with them has been a a real joy and we've been uh, so thrilled to bring you a number of podcasts in in collaboration with them. Just to introduce myself, my name is Scott. I'm one of the founders of VTX and I'm a specialist in small animal internal medicine. And as always, I am joined by my podcast co-host and friend in real life, Karen. Okay, Hannah, uh, welcome back (laughs) to the podcast. I feel like I've said this a few times now. We've had to, we have had to do a couple of re-records and we want to be very honest about it. So we we have recorded before, um, but actually, we were just saying before we started recording this time that actually things work out for a reason. And I feel very much that the conversation that we have today will be different in a good way um, because of the way that the world has changed maybe since we last recorded. But we'll kind of get into that. So just um, as we always do, can you just start by introducing yourself to the listeners? Oh, my goodness. Introducing myself. Um, so I am <laughs> Hannah Rolofley, um, also known as physio.rvn on Instagram and Facebook. And gosh, where do I start? I'm a horse riding, tea drinking, gin drinking mum of one. Um, and I love physio. I love horses. I love lots of things. Harry Potter, addicted to that. Um, so yeah, that's kind of me in a nutshell, really. <laughs> And we're, so we're just, you are obviously, well, like you said, you're lots of things. I love all, that was a very good sort of summary of, of many different things, but you are a qualified RVN and you qualified how long ago and from where? So I qualified back in 2014 from City and Islington College, which was a first year um, RVN college and I was the guinea pig year. Um, and I've been in Vetmed now for about 10 years. Wow. Okay. So there's obviously lots of things that you're passionate about professionally and personally, Harry Potter, you know, crosses all boundaries really. Um, Tell us a little bit. So you are also known as the Physio RVN uh, on social media. So I think that probably is quite self-explanatory, but for those of us who need a little bit more help with that, what, what does that entail? So um, I actually, um, I handed in my dissertation this week. So I am Mm. hopefully, as of a couple of weeks, I have fully qualified small animal and large animal physiotherapist. um, Which is super exciting. Very stressful, but super exciting. Um, And I just thought there's so many things that physio can do for our patients. And we sort of learn about it as as a nurse and I remember it it was like a 30 minute lecture and I came away thinking I need to do all these practical skills and I haven't got a freaking clue 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So then I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll just become a physiotherapist. I mean, like, that's an easy thing to do, not. So then you kind of fit that around. So, yeah, well, that's, and that's very cool. And I presume that's something that you actually, so do you plan to actually use that in a kind of practicing way? Yeah, so um, I've got uh, several horses at home and I compete at national level carriage driving. Um, and I realised I was paying all these physios anyway, and I thought, well, I might as well come <laughs> save a bit of money somewhere eventually. Nice. Um, okay. But actually, I do plan for it in the end. I'm going to do half my time in practice and half my time doing my own physiotherapy business. Yeah. So what I think, um, what what I think is interesting is that you you have obviously these social media pages that are called the Physio RVN, but actually, and, and no disrespect to physiotherapy, it's significantly more than that and I think that people that maybe visit these pages will get a little bit of a pleasant surprise I think as far as the kind of content that you put out so let's start with the um the the thing that I don't fully understand I think it's called TikTok is that those video things is that TikTok what the what young people do yes yeah yeah so it's and and instagram has it they're called reels they're just very short videos okay um that you put to a little soundtrack now to be honest i i'm I'm called the physio rvm but god knows i like to take the mick out of myself i like to make fun of things that happen in the profession i like to talk about mental health i like to talk about leadership yeah. I kind of these are all things that have come along in my career and I'm kind of like I have this platform to talk about it but I haven't kind of found a name that fits the whole thing um no, started no. as a physio journey for me and like sort of how all my training went and what I learned along the way but then I thought shit I can actually talk to so many people and tell them things that have taken me 10 years to learn about the profession yeah and I love that you know just so Karen do you know what TikTok is do you do, do you TikTok do you reel she doesn't. Uh, no. <laughs> I literally... I, I'm the same as you. I feel very old when we start talking about I stuff know. like that. I'm like, what? Terrible. No, so, I need a lesson. I know. I think, Hannah, we need a lesson. So what I love about actually what you were just saying there is that that really is that that kind of... See this, you know, taking the piss out of myself. I actually think that's very empowering. So I love people that are able to to have a laugh at, you know, at themselves and in a in a kind way it's not like we're being unkind to ourselves but we're just being a bit silly you know the, the kind of gangster stuff that you do I just absolutely because you're I mean you're obviously not a gangster <laughs> which is like the word exactly not. so I love that kind of I just think that's brilliant anyway so people should check that out so then I suppose one of the things that you have very much started to talk upon recently well there's lots of things but I feel that there's a real kind of um, move towards talking about a lot of the challenges that you uh, personally have faced and um, obviously speaking about things that other people are currently being probably very much challenged with in the profession. So there's been a real shift, I feel, from what the kind of content that you're putting out recently. Um, And I presume that was, I presume that was a conscious thing that you've decided to do. So I used to run a team and I've always been really, really close to all of my team members. I'm hearing all these all these people talking to me saying how hard they're finding it and how hard all these things are and their managers don't care about them and their practice doesn't care about them. They just expect them to bleed, go home, rest, come back, bleed some more. Um, and, you know, even actually in some circumstances, we've we've lost people that we work with due to their bad mental health. And I'm, I just thought 
we need to talk about it. We need to actually talk about, so one, it's not all your practices and your management's fault because actually they do care. They're just trying to make it better. But they're kind of in a bit of a, for want of a better term, a shit sandwich. Um, and especially having been a manager myself, I've been caught between upper management saying, well, you need to do this. And my team saying, well, you need to make it better for us. So I'm stuck in the middle trying to go, right, well, I'm trying to please you and I'm trying to please you. So how do I do that? And it's really isolating. Mm. Um, and I just think that people need to know that there's stuff they can do to make their life better but they're in control of it. So there's that quote that happiness is an inside job. So it's down to you to make those choices, to make you better, whatever they are. And we've all been there. We've all been working a shift and someone's come along and gone, oh, do you want lunch? You go, no, 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 I'll just finish this up. And then something else comes in and you get caught up and you don't get it done. And then you go home and go, well, I didn't even get a lunch break. And it's like, well, actually, I was offered one. I just didn't take it. Whereas what we should say is, yeah, can you take over, finish this off and I'll go on lunch? You know, it's about making sure that we take those opportunities and seize those opportunities when they come to us instead of moaning that we don't get them. Or even going to someone and going, actually, it's half one. I've been here since eight o'clock. Can I please eat something? Um, and we know you're never going to be as good halfway through your shift as you were at the beginning of your shift without a rest. Mm-hmm. You need to. So for, your, for treating your patients better, you need to treat yourself better. Mm-hmm. So that's obviously there's a huge amount of truth in what you're saying. So there's two things then. So what about so when so the flipping that on its head when people come to you, um, uh, not necessarily as a manager, but when you hear people saying um, that actually management don't care, um, and and you know I'm sure people say that actually a huge amount across the profession, management don't care. Um, is that really, would you, I mean, what's your response to that? Because, I mean, I think, you know, I've sort of said in a couple of occasions now, there's a lot that you can do from a kind of personal um, development point of view and, and and making changes, like you say, within yourself for 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 making the improvement. But do you not think, you know, that there's a role there that management have to play as well? So there there has to be a change from the other side, don't you think? A hundred percent. There has to be, it's, it's a bit like give and take. It has to, both of them have to make, want to make the positive change. And what's really hard, I've been there trying to do something that I know will make people feel better. And the resistance that I've had because it's different has been massive. I've gone home and we've all got it now. WhatsApp groups of like, you know, people we work with saying, you know, can you do this? Or I'm going to be late or whatever. And I've sat there reading them thinking, oh, my God, why are they doing that? And I've, or, or I've gone home and I'm genuinely upset about how I've handled something and I could have handled it better. And then someone saying to me, well, you don't care about me. Well, actually, no, that's completely not true. I'm trying so hard to give you the best opportunity I can with the tools that I have. I don't want you to suffer. I don't want you to go home thinking that you've done a rubbish job or that, you know, you've been let down in some way. But you have to come and communicate to me as well and say, I really need you to spend some time teaching me this or I really need to have another break during the day because I've actually got this chronic condition or, you know, it's just about being communicating equally. My my poor girls, they know exactly (laughs) every Friday, what are you guys doing this weekend? Every Monday, how did it go? Like, you know, it's just about management really needs to take the time to know their people and know what they need. And I think sometimes you can get caught up in this whole I'm busy and it's like well 
are you busy doing something you could delegate to someone else to give you time to talk to your people and find out what will actually make them better? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's the real key. And I think that's true. And I think we've said many times the fact that actually I don't, you know, what I really, on many, many occasions, what I've really wanted people to do is to actually just ask me how I am. You know, I think it's 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 not necessarily about a lot of bells and whistles stuff as far as do this course or, or phone this number or whatever else. For me, it really is about just actually, first of all, some recognition um, and, and then simply asking the question, but how, you know, how are you? Um, and I think some of these small things go, um, you know, can go just a really long way. I know you've touched on this kind of this, and we've spoken about this a lot, and it seems like such a fundamentally simple thing about just taking a break. And I think that's, again, that's a two-sided thing, you know, making sure that you're not just plowing on regardless, particularly if someone's offering you the chance to have a break, but but equally, um, then also going to your team and saying, I haven't had a break and that needs to happen, you know, because because it, it's just, that's never going to be good for anyone. And that, that goes for vets and nurses. And I think particularly vets, even more so, can just be really terrible at, at making the conscious decision to sit down and and take a break for however long you know that can it's a, it's a that's a real uh, that's a real challenge many of the many of the things you've spoken about are are coming from you know sort of personal experience and you've you've spoken very openly about um some quite tough things um and and particularly anxiety um within the workplace um and i know you've written recently for the the vn times on this kind of subject i don't know if you want to would you mind sharing the reason for writing that piece and also kind of just putting that in kind of context for us if that's okay yeah so um i actually i was talking to a friend about the story behind it so i'll just quickly sort of whiz through the story if people haven't read it And so as a student nurse, I was working quite late in a practice one night. Obviously, now you're at a stage where you don't have a huge amount of experience. So things you get overwhelmed very quickly. And I think actually you can get that at any stage. So I don't want anyone to feel like it's just student nurses suffer from that. Um, And a dog had come in. I was meant to finish work at seven. I stayed there till 11 doing IPPV every 30 seconds for this dog so that it could breathe. till the owners came to decide to put it down or whatever I can't remember exactly what happened and I've then traveled home in central London in the middle of the night absolutely exhausted whipped all my clothes off just jumped into bed didn't even bother to get put pajamas on didn't eat couldn't tell you when I went to the loo um and then woke up screaming in the middle of the night asking about the cat in ICU um which I think is so common for veterinary staff because you actually although you have left the building you've not switched off so that's a whole other, that's a whole other thing. Um, and I came in the next morning expecting to be told like, oh, it was really great that you stayed late. And it was really great that you, you know, were there for the owners and you were breathing for this dog for so long. And, you know, you did a really, really good job. Um, and instead I got sat down with the practice principal, with the head vet um, and the practice manager and told, could I explain why I thought it was suitable to leave the practice without cleaning the bathroom? <laughs> which is just hideous Um, and it's always been something that really really has stuck with me because I kind of went I worked so hard I was so exhausted I didn't have a 12-hour break between my two shifts either 
Um, and I came in, I was absolutely exhausted, but I was quite like, yeah, I did a good job. I'm going to be told I've done a good job. Like, I feel like I've done really well. And that was such a kick in the teeth, mm-hmm. which then made me super, super aware of any mistake, anything was going to get blamed. Mm-hmm. Any mistake was going to get blamed. So failure was not an option. So I can tell you, I was having panic attacks in the middle of Sainsbury's thinking, oh my God, I left on my lunch break and I didn't run this blood sample mm-hmm. or you know, things that were not even really a big deal because failure at, on any level was going to get punished. God. And that, I, I just think that, what, but then just that, that one moment, that one meeting literally then has had, you know, an effect on the rest of your career, right? It, yeah, and it's taken me a really long time to accept that I'm human, I'm going to make mistakes, because no one, to quote Lou the vet nurse, no one goes to work to make a mistake. Yeah, it's not what true. we get up for. That's not what we yeah. get up for. But to be mm-hmm. punished, and it's, blame culture in practice is such a quick thing, because it's like, who's done that? Oh, they did that. Well, no, because you've also missed it too. And maybe something else happened. Maybe they're exhausted. Maybe they've worked 24-hour shifts, because we've got no cap on that. Um, you know, it just, there needs to be a little bit more understanding. And equally, on the other end of things, how would you feel if you're the one having the finger pointed at you? Mm-hmm. Instead of someone going, can you just tell me what happened? Because I noticed that this happened. Is everything all right? You know, mm-hmm. do we need to do it a different way? There just needs to be more kindness and understanding instead of stressing people out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because you're not going to do a good job. No, exactly. And I think... But, the, you know, I, I can think that, so that's such a, a, such a brilliantly sort of impactful sort of story about that, you know, that situation. And both Karen and I reacted in that way, because actually when you're speaking it out loud, you're like, you know, that does, it, 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 it causes a sharp intake of breath. Like it, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's almost shocking, you know? And I think that, you know, the, the, the problem for me then reflecting on that is that the even more shocking part is that still happens every single day, you know, and I don't maybe have the same sort of, you know, but I could tell you sort of similar stories of, you know, when in, in my first specialist job, I mean, like literally I cut out tiny bits of my flesh and gave them to them every single day repeatedly. And, um, and then I remember once, you know, when the kids had just started school, I think I was five minutes late for rounds and that was like the worst thing that ever happened. And I thought, but then it, it was funny for me, actually, you know, one of the, and there's lots of little instances of that happening every day. The, my immediate reaction to those sort of, or sorts of things is it, it immediately strips away the goodwill. There would be so many vets and nurses that are listening that have so much goodwill and have given so much goodwill to their practices, because that's what we do as caring professionals. But in moments like that, I just feel like saying, well, I'll, okay, well, that's fine. Okay, you, you want to play that game? I'll start recording. I'll keep a timesheet about how late I'm here every single night. And I'll just, I'll put together an invoice, will I? And I'll bill you for it. Is that, but I've not done that because actually I realise that this job requires X, Y, and Z. Do you know what I mean? And that's, I think, where that, um, yeah, just in that moment, you're just, you feel kind of like a bit of despair. Like, are you serious? Are you serious? The toilet? Like, what? Crazy. You know, it's yeah. complete, it is complete madness. And I think that, but but actually more so than that, the, 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 the after effect of, um, 
the after effect of 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 that and you having you know your moment in i'm sure multiple moments in sainsbury's then i think that is how much that's affected you i just it's 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 kind of crazy um it's crazy to 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 even begin to think about the other thing it creates in you is making you go into work like you're going into battle i'm gonna have to defend myself every single option like every single conversation every single day so you're going into work ready for an argument so every little maybe slightly snappy word or whatever you take really personally every you know you're looking for an insult all the time because you've been picked up on such petty things so then you go into work and I remember standing at the door of my old practice actually and going like right what's it going to be today what's mm. what's the comment going to be today and, and actually first of all it's exhausting to always be on the defensive as a human being that is exhausting what an awful way to be just constantly in battle mode you know what I mean that's a really gosh that's a really really and I, I definitely definitely there'll be so many people that have felt that and so many people that are still feeling that today battle constant battle mode and we're already in battle mode because we're battling this just swathe of work that's just absolutely overwhelming everyone but if you're then battling against everything else you know it's just even more emotionally and physically exhausting and then I suppose so one of the things that we and and you have spoken about is is then you know you can only do that for so long before you are going to suffer from some of the effects of uh burnout and uh you know that term has been um talked about a huge about a huge amount more um and one of the things that you sort of spoke about recently was potentially glamorizing um burnout i don't know if you want to talk a little bit more about what you meant by that yeah so actually what i mean by that is people being like you know, if you go, oh, I had a really hard weekend and we've all been there and someone goes, well, I, I've worked 24-hour shifts before and I've done this before. And it's like, it's not a competition of who suffered the most. <laughs> let's not, let's push that rubbish aside because actually what you might find hard, I might not find hard and, and vice versa. But we need to stop sort of being like, you know, I fell on the sword and I stayed so late to deal with this emergency, even though I wasn't really needed or you know we're very quick to sort of how can I put it serve ourselves up on a platter for the feeling that we've we've done something good for our patients whereas actually the real question needs to be are we needed or are there enough people to deal with it yes there are I don't really need to stay and and or you know say well I'll stay next time you go this time whatever whereas instead we're sort of going well I've worked super hard and isn't that great and you know, I've done all these amazing things and it's sort of like, yeah, that, that is good for you and that's great for your experience. But ultimately, you've gone home and had to crash for two days because you're absolutely knackered. You've had no time for your family. You've had no time for yourself, your health. I mean, chronic stress even causes us to be more susceptible to the flu. Mm. That's how ridiculous it is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's just stop working ourselves into the ground and start actually being able to give our better selves to our patients yeah playing devil's advocate people would say you know i think everything that you're saying is so true and um and so important playing devil devil's advocate what you know for those people then maybe i don't know from your experience in management or whatever else but so what if people turn and say well actually no um the problem we have at the moment is 
that we have to stay. There just isn't, you know, enough uh, people literally on the ground. There are too many patients. So it's not a case of us, you know, taking that opportunity to get away when maybe previously we would have just stayed. What if it's kind of, we're at the point now where actually there's just no other option than to be here? Yeah, I t- and I totally get it. Right now is a crazy time and we almost need to look after ourselves more because of it. And I'm not saying just go, no, that's it, I'm leaving. Um, but what I think you need to do is make sure you're actually organised about it. So, okay, you're going to do the anaesthetic for that. I'll clean up out here. I'll check on the inpatients and then I'll see where you're at and then whether I can go or not or whether you want me to stay. You know, it's just a communication piece and almost we get a bit like, I have gone, someone's gone, oh, you can go home, it's fine. And I've gone, no, no, I'm going to stay until this is clean or until that's done so that you don't have to do it, even though the the other person is telling me it's fine, they'll sort it out whenever. Um, And it's just communicating with each other and actually going, are you fit to stay or are you totally naked? (laughs) Because I'm okay, I could do it. But, you know, it's just having to really communicate and be honest with each other. I mean, I've been in workplaces where I've actually felt weak to admit that I couldn't do it. That is so wrong. That is so wrong. Um, and I'm actually getting a bit emotional about it. I need to kind of not cry. Um, but that level of feeling like you're too tired to carry on and having someone sort of judge you for that yeah. is awful. Yeah. Whereas that's, that's the kind of kindness we want from each other. Mm. We have to talk to each other. Yeah, and I think what you're saying is so right. And I, I completely... The thing is, I think that this comes down to actually, let's forget about, for the moment, let's forget about all these external stresses, clients, even let's forget about all the stuff that comes through the door. So, you know, that's all very stressful, animals and people, which is the job fundamentally. But then let's, yeah, stop them coming in. But let's, um, yeah, let's go right back to the way that actually we're treating each other. And I think a lot of... I don't want to put words in your mouth, but actually I feel like a lot of what you're saying is a lot of the 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 issues and potentially some of the behaviours actually come from the way that we're interacting sometimes with each other. Um and the way, you know, and the way that um and being and sometimes you are made to feel a certain way, which has got nothing to do with you, that it's to do with the way that something someone external is is interacting with you. Is that would you agree? Yeah, so I, I feel awful, but um, I've been bullied in practice quite a lot because I used to be such a yes person and I would do anything and I always wanted to be, I'm a people pleaser and that all comes down to that high functioning anxiety. Um, and I always wanted to be accepted and thought of well and you know, for someone to go, oh, you're really good at your job. Well, actually what makes me good at my job? It's not that I stay late every night. So let's, get rid of that but also let's be vulnerable and honest with the people we work with because not being funny we spend more time with them sometimes than we do with our family mm-hmm. you know coming in and going I'm having a really bad day this is going on at home you know just being honest about how you are is actually a really really positive thing and someone has to start it because then somebody else will be honest with you in return um because you know you've sort of laid that bare and I've come into work some days and I've gone girls don't talk to me. I've had this happen. I'm going to cry if you do. Just let me quietly get on with what I need to get on with. Um, And, you know, that I've actually got a story about it, actually. And it's also about perspective. So, for example, a nurse I knew came in, 
awful mood. You could tell from straight off she was in a hideous mood. Um, and what everybody else did was went, you're clearly in a bad mood. I'm going to leave you alone, not talk to you, give you your space. She then came to me and said, no one's talking to me. I don't know why no one's talking to me. I'm in a bad mood as it is. And nobody, everybody's ignoring me. And I'm like, everyone's ignoring you because they think you need space. Mm -hmm. So it's all about perspective as well. Yes. And we're so quick to go, they're annoyed at me or they're being crappy with me. It's probably nothing to do with you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we just need to be honest. It's just honesty. Yeah. And also be aware that people are different and, and also be aware that that it's difficult to always completely understand, as I think you said recently as well, you know, um, it's difficult to completely understand what each individual person is going through. Not We can't all walk in each other's shoes all the time and have perspective on every single situation. I, I can't, I can't, I can't imagine what it's like to be told that the only thing that you really should have done that you didn't do was clean a toilet. That's I, I've never been in that situation, but I can, I can, I can empathize with how hideous that would have been, you know? So it's, it's, we're, we're all facing sort of different, um, different experiences, but I, I think just, and everyone's going to cope with things differently, aren't they? You know, I think that, um, you know, but I think just trying to be as kind as we can to each other. And actually what Ashley, we, we interviewed another vet nurse recently, um, Ashley, who said actually she, she's not an unkind person. She's a very good friend of mine. But she said something I thought was really, really insightful, which is that actually that she had to, in some instances, she had to learn to be kind. Now this, on the face value of that, you're like, that does that mean she's an awful person and had to just pretend to be kind? And she was like, no, in in the most stressful situations, my default is sometimes not to be very nice. And she's like, but I've, so I, but I know that about me and I've had to, as a manager, learn that that's not the way that I should be in those moments. Again, it doesn't mean she's not a kind person, but she's had to do some work on herself to, to improve the way that she is. And I thought that was really, really very, uh, very interesting. Um, Self-development is a massive, massive thing. And actually, I learned a lot about myself and my team by we um, basically did a personality test to see how people want to be communicated to, whether they're more empathetic, whether they're more ideas based, planning based, that sort of thing. And I learned that I can't make a quick decision. I need to have all the information and then I'll come to you with a whole plan. Don't ask me for a quick yes or no. It's not going to happen. Um, <laughs> whereas some of my team, so they're very decisive, like this is what we're going to do. There's no messing about, but they come across blunt, which comes across rude. So, you know, they might say, can't we just do this? And someone thinks, oh my God, you're trashing my idea and I've worked really hard, but actually they're just kind of going, this seems really simple. Why aren't you doing this? So it's not actually a personal thing. That is just their default sort of position. And we need to be a little bit accepting of that. And, you know, if there is a problem, go and talk to somebody. Don't go and tell somebody else about it. Just go, sorry, did, have I upset you? Did this, is this okay? Not okay? And someone might just go, oh, sorry, I didn't even think about it. I just said what I said. You know, we're very, we're very quick to feel upset and we're very quick to dismiss people. And like she said, she had to learn to be kind. Self-development self is so important because you know when stuff's hitting the fan um it's very easy to be like get this get that get the other all the Hugh Grant please could you possibly do this has just gone out the window but also there's that recognition of now wasn't the time for them to be super polite to me yeah 
So I think, you know, one of, one of the things through what you're doing uh, in various ways, speaking more, and I feel like, <clears throat> you know, more and more and more we say, look, it's great that we're speaking more and that's really can only ever be very positive. And, you know, uh, so we, we definitely are talking about a lot of these challenges more and more and more. And that is great. But I think what I'm always interested to understand from people is, and we don't need to all have any, all of the answers. It's not what I would, I certainly don't have any answers. But what do you see, um, what do you see as being the solution to some of these problems from your perspective? So the biggest thing, and actually you and um, Emily Holmes touched on it, and that was a podcast that really, really resonated with me. Mental health is not just a poster on the back of the door. So let's, Let's get rid of we're doing something for our people by providing them with helplines and whatever. You're not. You're actually not. They know they're there. If anyone opens a VN Times, Vetness Times, whatever, if they do any CPD, they know where those helplines are. You're not helping them any by having them in practice. What we need to actively do is take time to talk to our people. So I'm talking about um, appraisals, things like that. Talk to people, find out what they want. Actually bother to spend time saying, you know, what are you up to? Find out their interests, note them down. I actually used to have a notebook. I um, head nursed at four different practices and I used to work in each one one day a week. And I had a notebook of all the staff and what their interests were or what their kids were called or what their dog was called or whatever. So that when I went in, people knew that I cared about them because I wanted to know. Um, and I think we just need to really, there's so many things we need to educate the public about the cascade system and how bad our mental health is and that we're not actually just there to steal all their money um and there's just so much so many aspects to it not one more vet is doing excellent things we need to support our colleagues we need to notice when things are a little bit wrong we need to provide break times for a start mm -hmm. we need to encourage people to fuel themselves not just with coffee and biscuits um you know, it's it's about taking wellness to a whole new level. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I really I, I, I think Emily and I touched on this as well. I just think, you know, some just, you know, for the, this kind of campaign about just regulating breaks better, you know, even simple things like that. And that could maybe come from, I mean, you know, we, we potentially can do some stuff um uh, sort of around that subject. But I think that maybe even needs to come from higher up. You know, why are we not? Can there not be some legislation or, or, or some, um, uh, you know, sort of uh, governance around that sort of thing within the profession that's literally coming from the top of the profession? And I think, you know, we're not going to change everything in a day, but simple things like that would make a massive, uh, massive difference. And I think actually, potentially you've touched on something really important there, public education campaigns around, um, you know, they do similar things, I think, for the NHS, where we are aware as a public about the stresses that the NHS are under because of the because of what is out in the media and I think you know and you do see bits of this creeping in from a veterinary perspective but actually maybe that's what we need vets on this morning saying this is terrible <laughs> you need we need we need compassion from you um you know not just that but but um you know but I think that is you've absolutely hit the nail on the head um hit the nail on the head there um I mean, there's there's so much stuff. I mean, we could go um, 
I feel that we could maybe just go on for days and days. Um, and we want to make sure that we always get um, some other questions in. So I'll, 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 we'll just uh, make sure we don't miss the opportunity to ask you some of our favourite questions. And there's some new ones too. So um, I wonder if we can start by asking you, uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? Um, so I knew you were going to ask me this, actually. And it, it makes me... <laughs> I'm so predictable. <laughs> I know, but what, what I'm going to say makes me so emotional. So I do apologise. Mm. Um, I want to I grow up to be my mum. Oh. <laughs> right, okay. I love her so much and she's so brave. Oh. So, yeah, I want to be my mum. Oh, that's, um, that's a very good answer. I... Um, yeah, that's a very good answer. Um, thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Um, so, oh, I've lost track now. Hold on. Right. So, uh, Wait, sorry. <laughs> uh, the next question. Um, the next question is um, the. Oh, I totally have lost track. I'm so sorry. Right. I don't even know what the next question is. What do we normally ask? Sorry. No, 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 no. no it's okay. Um, I knew it was going to be really. Sorry. Right. No, no, that's my fault. My fault. Um, so. Um, Obviously, you have, we've talked about your kind of really varied um, uh, career and, and you've gone off in lots of different, very cool directions. If you were to be back um, handing in that application for your nursing qualification, would you do the same? Would you apply to be a veterinary nurse? I don't know. There have been times, I think, where would I have mm. gone... If I didn't, and actually when I was younger, I had an opportunity to travel to Florida as a international show jumping groom um, and do like worldwide tours and all of those kind of things. Um, and I met my husband and I said, no, I'd like to see where that goes. So, you know, we're this far on and we've got a baby, so it's all going quite well. Um, maybe made the right decision there. Um, but in some ways I want to say, yeah, because I've learned so much about myself this profession and I don't know if like it's taught me a lot of strength it's been hard and there have been times where I've genuinely thought this is my rock bottom and it's proven me wrong and I've gone even deeper but I've again pulled myself out of it which has taught me so much about myself so I think yeah actually it probably would it's difficult isn't it because I think that's that's the the honest answer from so many people is to be like sharp you know not sharp intake of breath mm, let me just give me a moment with that you know what I mean it's mm. not it's not obviously one thing or the other to be honest I'm in it for the stationery ah! <laughs> I've got my... it's I've got good mine sta- too. it's good oh you Karen's got hers okay good uh, <laughs> good stationery um for those that cannot see because this is a podcast that was a VTX branded notebook <laughs> so... thanks too also, I will recommend they are the best notebooks. They feel really nice. Oh, they and the are pen good. Really nice. Oh, good. We got them way back at the beginning when we didn't even have that much money to spend on them. So that's good to know. <laughs> so that's good. Um, yeah, so, um, and then we we always love to understand uh, who inspires you. Um, oh God, I mean, it takes a village of people to make someone, right? Um, and there are so many people who have inspired me along the way and actually I did a post recently I think today actually it's come out um about I met a veterinary hero of mine recently um and I had big this person up in my mind they've spoken at conferences they're really big on Instagram you know 
this is a person I wanted to model myself on. And when I met them, I went, oh my God, you're just a normal person. Like that for me made me go, I do not need to be some wacky superhero because here this person is with their chips nail polish and their Primark shoes, which I've still got, which I've got too. So I was like, oh, we're shoe buddies. Um, but, <laughs> you know, it it made me realise that actually I don't have to be super inspired by anyone. I can be the light for myself because we all do a different journey. Um, but like I say, my mum is a big person for me. She's gone through so much adversity in life. She's so courageous. And I just think if I can be half an inch of you, I'll have done well. Of course. So. I hope my kids see things like that about me when I'm older. That's (laughs) She's done a good job. She's done a good job. Um, are we allowed to know? Are we allowed to know who that other person is? Are you keeping that a secret with the Primark shoes? I'm keeping it. As, <laughs> yeah, I'm keeping it a secret for for their identity. But okay. you know, I'm I'm amazed by so many of the people that I've met through Instagram. Mm. I'm amazed by just so many really obscure people. Like I love pink. Pink is my one of the big advocates in my life because she's always been pro being educated, being experienced, and being yourself. Yeah. Not everybody else. Just be who you want to be. Mm. Do you know that's funny actually? And she, I, I would very much agree with that. And um, I love talking about celebrities on the podcast. Karen, is, Karen knows. <laughs> he does, yeah, especially ones that he likes. <laughs> and actually, do you know? And she's, she's. What I love about her, she's, she's, she's also very pro um, LGBT, and she. Uh, is also very pro like um you know she's not a f- she's not necessarily a very feminine woman and you know has uh, made that amazing speech about w- about her daughter um when she was accepting an award um because her daughter i think had been someone had said something about her daughter at school and she was like you can have short hair or long hair or no hair or whatever it doesn't matter you know just what I loved is she was like could I kick a six-year-old's ass and I've had the exact same situation with my nearly one-year-old son I'm like can I beat this toddler up for pushing him <laughs> yeah the answer is um no it's probably illegal but, I don't, <laughs> I don't, but listen wait to look w- listen wait till you get to like five six and soft play which you've not hopefully experienced yet because of lockdown but um i literally want to be physically violent towards so many of them because i'm like (laughs) why stop it you know like but you you're not allowed by law so there you go (laughs) Uh, (laughs) laws are there for a reason (laughs) but i totally get that i totally get that yeah and i love how accepting she is of so many people and she just wants people to own their own truth really yes no i think i totally yeah that's a really good Yes, she is indeed a good voice for that. So yeah, and then just to finish up, um, uh, advice you've given lots of it today, but if you were to leave us with a a last bit of advice, your final message, what would that be? Seize your opportunities when they present themselves. And um, so I had a really close veterinary friend recently. Um, and I said to her, oh, isn't it amazing? I've been published in VN Times. Um, and she went, well, I could have done that. And I thought, great, thanks. You could have, but you didn't. So, you know, these opportunities come up, seize them. You know, you can get the experience. You can get, you can go for that job. You can change career. You can, 
go on that holiday, whatever, just take that opportunity when it arrives, because that ultimately we're all made up from what opportunities we have or haven't taken, you know, seize, seize the day. And it's never too late to change anything about anything. You know, I think you can, and that's the power that you have as an individual. You can, you know, I'm, I'm making changes in my job and, and, but I've, you know, one of my very good friends is a professional opera singer and he and I had the similar conversation the other day he was like I'm not sure I want to do this anymore and he was like I might do something completely different I was like you do that you know what I mean so there's no there's no limitation Karen's had similar experiences through work where you know again non-veterinary done different jobs and actually so what and uh, change again it's you know it's we've all got the power to do that and make it work ultimately for you I think and nothing's permanent nothing has to be permanent you are in control of what makes your world go round. God, I could have done a million different things, but I've sometimes I have to restrict myself and go, you haven't got time for all of this. <laughs> Just put it on the court board and come back to it. But there's no one ever saying you can't. And there's no, you know, in fact, even coming on your podcast today, I actually messaged you going, can I come on and talk about this, that and the other originally? Um, because I thought I really want to talk to these guys. They do awesome stuff. So you can only turn around and say no. So what was the harm in asking? Do you know, that's really funny, actually. And again, that's not to... So, yeah, that... So way, way back when, when you know... Yeah, that's right. You just messaged out of the blue and we're like... And again, there you go. There's nothing wrong for that. So if there's someone listening who fancies talking to someone on a podcast. I mean, who am I to ever... This is what I've said to other people who have reached out as well. What... I'm not here to screen people or to... I'm not... What what right do I have to filter or, uh, you know, dictate who does what? And if, if if you want to do something and chat to me on this podcast, as long as you're not going to be a dickhead, then it's free, <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> it's open, it's open to all. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, who am I to, <laughs> I'm not the, I'm not the judge of anything. Absolutely not. Do you know what I mean? And so, yeah, go for it. I want to speak to someone on a podcast about X, Y, and Z then that's what we did. And here we are doing that exact thing. There you go. And on that note, we thank you for your honesty, for your wisdom, for um, being brilliant. So thank you. Well, I love you guys. And I think you guys do awesome stuff and you put amazing stuff out there for people to listen to. And I have to say the people you've had on here and what you guys do, you brought hope to me in some dark times. Oh, thank you. We appreciate you. Thank you. Love you. (laughs) (laughs) A massive thank you to Hannah for her open and honest conversation today. It was such a joy to chat to her. Um, We now move into our clinical segment. Again, a massive thank you to the wonderful IDEX for their support uh, of this series of podcasts. Okay, so we're continuing our anemia theme. Last time we spoke a little bit about the sort of general investigations uh, of anemia. And this time we're going to talk a little bit about um, some of the causes of regenerative anemia. And remember, it's really important actually from understanding causes and, and, and working through differentials, distinguishing anemia as either regenerative or non-regenerative is actually really one of the most helpful things uh, that we can do. We mentioned that one of the the absolute key things as far as determining whether our anemia is regenerative or not is to do with 
reticulous sites and reticulous site count. Um, and many of our, our automated cell uh, counts uh, that come from our hematology analyzers will give us a reticulous site count. And that's really important. Really important that we are assessing the absolute reticulocyte count and not the percentage, as we talked about. Um, and ultimately, what the reticulocyte count is doing is giving us an idea that the body is doing what it should be doing, regenerating. Um, because these are ultimately immature forms of red blood cells that are kicked out of the bone marrow um, in response to the need for more red blood cells. One of the key things we also mentioned last time was that that doesn't happen instantaneously. So we do need to allow the body four, five, even slightly longer sometimes days um, to uh, mount an adequate regenerative response. Um, and that's just important to remember because that can catch you out. If you're assessing an animal, um, let's say an animal that's had an acute bleed um, and you assess them in the first couple of days, it may seem that that's not regenerative because it's what we would call pre-regenerative the body hasn't had a chance to respond yet and that's just important to remember so reticulocytes are the main thing that we're using to uh, assess for regeneration and talking today about regenerative anemias the two main differentials for regenerative anemias are either hemorrhage or hemolysis um keeping it really simple, hemorrhage or hemolysis. And actually, it's not always easy to distinguish between those two things. It may be that there's a very obvious bleed somewhere. Um, so whether that be, you know, bleeding from some sort of external trauma, um, but also, you know, it, it, I suppose bleeding, particularly when bleeding happens internally, that's not always easy for us to see, particularly bleeding from the GI tract, you know, so we can get bleeding from the GI tract, you're not always going to see melina. Melina is not always visibly obvious. And sometimes bleeding can occur uh, in the GI tract uh, that isn't obvious to us uh, externally. And that's always something to bear um, to bear in mind. The other interesting thing about GI hemorrhage is that initially that will be a regenerative anemia. But actually with chronic GI bleeds, that can become uh, non-regenerative and that's another important thing to uh, remember. If there's not obvious signs of external or, or internal blood loss then some of the other things hemorrhage versus hemolysis um, is going to be some of the other characteristics that we might be able to see. So uh, some of the other things that we'll see when red blood cells are being destroyed would be hemoglobinemia, hemoglobinuria, um, uh, so discoloration of the urine um, that's not because of whole blood loss. So remember, you can get uh, hematuria, which is different from hemoglobinemia, uh, sorry, hemoglobinuria. So, it, and the, the way of differentiating between those two things is going to be that when you spin that urine down, if it's hematuria, the red blood cells will sit at the bottom and there'll be clear uh, urine on top. Um, and that will not be the case for hemoglobin uh, urea, which is when the urine stays pigmented even when it's spun down. And that's certainly uh, a potential sign of hemolysis. 
Um, some of the other things that we might look for as far as uh, reasons for hemolysis versus hemorrhage would be what we can see under the microscope. Uh, are we seeing things like spherocytes and ghost cells, which are uh, hallmarks of immune-mediated hemolytic anemia? Um, are we seeing signs of Heinz bodies? Are the red blood cells being destroyed because of oxidative damage to the red blood cells? So these are other things that may be um, may be helpful. Um, other things we can do are the, the things like the insulin agglutin and the Coombs test, uh, again, which is um, potentially looking for uh, hallmarks of um, immune-mediated hemolytic anemia. We're not going to talk about immune-mediated hemolytic anemia in too much detail today. We're going to save that for next time because it, it requires, I think, a full discussion almost on its own. Um, so we're going to talk about the hemorrhage, as we said, and, and some of the other causes of hemolysis that's not uh, necessarily IMHA. So just to whiz through kind of hemorrhage, um, hemorrhage, as we said, can either be really uh, obvious um, due to trauma, um, but may also be because of other reasons. So we can see hemorrhage because of, um, you know, bleeding uh, neoplasia uh, internally, uh, also because of coagulopathies. Uh, we could see bleeding secondary to surgery that we're carrying out um, that, uh, you know, post uh ovaria hysterectomy ligature slippage or anything uh, anything like that really important that we're assessing all cavities for hemorrhage um so don't just assess the abdomen uh, assess the um uh, pleural and pericardial spaces as well i think getting into the habit if we're doing a fast scan uh, we're not allowed to say fast scan if we're doing a, a point of care ultrasound of the abdomen to assess for for bleeding try and get into the routine of, of including the chest to assess the pleural and pericardial spaces as well don't forget the retroperitoneal space that can be tricky particularly cats that have suffered trauma if if, if they get trauma to the kidneys or, or even a renal avulsion they can get very significant bleeding in the perit um in the retroperitoneal space that doesn't always look uh, that obvious because it's kind of compartmentalized the other thing to remember is that that patients can bleed quite significantly into fascial planes and between muscles, uh, particularly with um, fractures and um, uh, pelvic fractures and long bone fractures. And I've seen animals become quite anemic, just bleeding into muscle bellies. Obviously, neoplasia um, is the leading cause of non-traumatic internal bleeding in dogs and cats. And the most common reason for that, um, uh, as far as kind of the reasons for spontaneous uh, hemorrhage, would be hemangiosarcoma. But there are others. Um, and I think it's really important to remember that differentiation between, yes, if an animal comes... Um, uh, and it's had spontaneous bleeding from uh, a spleen or liver, then we definitely are thinking um, neoplasia as a, as a differential. It's important to remember that many of those incidentally found splenic masses or nodules um, that are not bleeding, um, many of them, 50% uh, in, in many studies, are not neoplastic. So um, we would not condemn a patient just because it's got a splenic nodule, um, but certainly those ones that spontaneously bleed, we have to be a bit more concerned about. The clinical signs associated with hemorrhage are very much going to just depend on where and how much blood you're losing. Um, and, and that it's going to vary greatly. The body can compensate for a certain degree of blood loss, um, but uh, 
too much, we'll obviously start to see um, signs of the body compensating or even decompensating for that. So we'll start to see things like elevation in heart rate, blood pressure may drop um, and the patient may become uh, uh, mentally obtunded as well. Um, if we're looking at internal hemorrhage and we're sampling from any cavity uh, potentially uh, suspecting there's been a bleed, then um, what we're, when we're looking at that fluid, it's really important that we're um, looking at the um, characteristics of that fluid to determine whether it's really pure blood or not, because many many fluid many effusions can look bloody, um, but they're not necessarily uh, hemorrhage. <clears throat> so. When we're looking at fluid, um, we're looking at the fluid PCV to be the same as or even sometimes more than the circulating PCV. And that's a really important comparison to make. Um, PCVs with a, a, a effusions with a PCV of less than 10%, we tend to say are non um hemorrhagic i mean they can be bloody but they're not hemorrhagic uh, hemorrhagic eff effusions. So as far as um then potentially uh, differentiating, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the causes of acute bleeding, which hopefully um, uh, would be quite uh, obvious in, in, when we're, we're seeing bleeding into spaces. Um, we then have to, as I said, remember that we can see bleeding into spaces that we wouldn't obviously see with ultrasound or, or with the naked eye, and that's uh, gastrointestinal uh, bleeding. There are obviously multiple uh, reasons uh, for that. Um, if you're not seeing gastrointestinal bleeding, obviously externally with Melina, um, then um, it may be that you have to assess the patient for fecal occult blood. So that's when we test the feces for the presence of blood uh, when it's not necessarily obvious to um, to the naked eye. So I think blood loss from the GI tract is just an important area to remember um, uh, because it can, it can kind of uh, trick us in, in some cases, I suppose. So moving on to some of the other cases then of uh, hemolysis that are not IMHA, like I said, we'll we'll discuss that kind of in a bit more detail uh, next time. When we're thinking about hemolysis, really what we're thinking about then is um, the classic immune-mediated hemolytic anemias, which obviously is immune-mediated. Um, we need to remember that there are non-immune reasons for blood to uh, hemolyze, um, and there are also some hereditary uh, hemolytic disorders, but they're less common and will not maybe focus too much uh, too much on those. So other non-immune reasons for hemolysis would be toxins, um, things that are toxic to the red blood cells. And many of the things that are toxic to the red blood cells, these are causing oxidative damage to the red blood cells. Uh, and when we get oxidative damage to the red blood cells, we see the formation of Heinz bodies. And Heinz bodies are these little... Um, uh, they, they look like almost little kind of um, circular uh, inclusions uh, on the, the surface of the, the red blood cells, almost appearing sometimes like little masses um, extending from the red blood cell uh, membrane. Things that will commonly cause um, oxidative damage and, and non-immune mediated hemolysis would be toxins like um, onions. Um, I think, you know, many of you will sit there thinking to yourself, well, how often do we really give our dogs and cats onions? You'd be surprised. But second of all, I think we need to remember that there are lots of dried onion products that are now available. And so onion powder, um, you know, a dog 
and certainly my dogwood getting into onion powder or something like that, very quickly ingest quite a significant amount of onion. So um, that is not to be uh, underestimated. The other uh, substance that will cause um, notably uh, oxidative damage to red blood cells is zinc. So any uh, ingested metal containing zinc has that possibility. And there are still... Um, for instance coins in the world that will contain uh zinc um, and so that is not and, and other things belt buckles i've seen a dog with a belt buckle ingestion that got zinc uh, intoxication and they will uh hemolyze their red blood cells again because of oxidative um damage the other major thing is paracetamol um particularly in cats so paracetamol toxicity in cats will often manifest um as um significant uh, effects on on the the red blood cells um cats are as we know intolerant really of any uh, dose of paracetamol we know that paracetamol is um very um widely used in dogs and can be done and used very successfully and safely but in cats certainly can cause a number uh, of um challenges if you're expecting a non-hemolytic toxic cause of hemolysis in your red blood cells, the first thing to do is just to take away the thing that's causing the problem. The other thing that we can consider that we often forget is actually using, um, this is oxidative damage, so actually using SAMI, um, S-adenosyl methionine containing products such as denimarin, um, which are uh, a really good uh, as far as kind of glutathione replacement, as well as some, having some other anti-inflammatory and, and uh, other good properties. The, the, we, we think of denimarin or SAMI containing products just as what we use during liver disease, but actually these products are really, really helpful for these scenarios as well with the, the oxidative damage to uh, red blood cells. So I would really remember um, those um, in, in, in those circumstances. And then just to touch on some of the infectious causes of, of hemolysis that are not always immune mediated in, in the way that we know and love um, and the most notable examples would be uh, Babesia. Babesia is found uh, throughout the world it's not such a massive problem in the UK but there have certainly now been reports of Babesia in the UK even in dogs that have not travelled um, outside uh, the UK so Babesia is worth keeping on the radar um, and then from a feline point of view, one of the main infectious uh, causes of um, uh, severe anemia um, would be feline, the feline hematrophic mycoplasmas, uh, particularly mycoplasma uh, haemophilus. And certainly that's something that I would be keeping on the radar and testing for in most of the anemic cats uh, that we're kind of dealing with. And that's done with a... A word of caution, I would be careful identifying that under the microscope. I think we get a lot of false positives. That's definitely something I would send blood away uh, for a PCR analysis. So that's a little whistle-stop tour of some of the, the kind of causes of, of uh, regenerative anemia, whether that be bleeding uh, or non-immune hemolysis. Uh, and next time we'll, we'll focus a bit more on immune-mediated hemolytic anemia um, uh, in its purest form because um, I just felt that that, that that required a little bit more care and attention. Just to say a massive thank you again to Hannah and the wonderful IDEX for their support on the podcast today and a massive thank you to you as always for uh, your support and for tuning in every week. 
to learn more about VTX and uh, the anemia course that we currently have running, then please head over to our website, which is www.vtx-cpd.com. Do give us a like, follow and share on social media. We'd love to see you all over there too. And we look forward to seeing you all again next time. Bye.